Well, hello there, and welcome back to another episode of my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, recording this on a beautiful, sunny Friday morning, which is kind of exceptional for me. We're preparing for uh, snowy times ahead. Apparently, we're going to get wintry weather soon, but for now, almost feels like springtime. This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons in a wonderful small community. It's all small. It's actually growing um, much, much faster than, than any time in the past, which is great. It, it, it proves that the community actually brings value to people's lives. Um, and that community supports me also uh, with their monthly micro donations. If you want to join that community, get access to the, to the server. We've got a Discord server where uh, the community hangs out on a daily basis. You get, a, you get another podcast every week uh, called Father Roderick to the Max. It's like this podcast, but with totally different topics, but kind of same vibe. And of course, you get to support me with uh, more ambitious projects uh, about which I will speak later on in this show. So sit back, relax, and if you want to be a patron, check out patreon.com slash Father Roderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. <laughs> it is a large world out there. It's also still a bit of a dangerous world, of course, because of the COVID-19 situation. Things are slowly but gradually getting better. We're still in a lockdown here in the Netherlands. Um, and uh, we're kind of bracing ourselves for what they call here a third wave, which is kind of creepy. <laughs> but apparently the third wave is um, going to be caused by this British variant of the virus, which is currently taking over. Like in a week, it went from, I think, 25% of the infections to 75%. So we don't know exactly uh, what the consequences will be for the total amount of infections. So that's why our government has chosen to keep things in lockdown so far. But at the, the good news is that uh, the vaccination has really uh, finally, you know, is finally getting uh, ramping up speed. And I just received news yesterday evening that my both my parents are going to get va vaccinated soon. They're both already. Uh, it, you know, in their 80s. So that is a uh, demographic that gets priority and I couldn't be happier. My dad has been in this uh, care facility for two years now and they've, they've had infections every single week. So every time the whole building goes on lockdown, he can't receive people. And my, my, I can tell that my dad is actually really uh, getting worse. So he's, he's suffering from dementia um, but I think the isolation, the lack of social input, uh, just not being able to go outside and just be free and go for a walk, meet other people, talk, you know, with uh, his, his fellow patients, um, it's taking its toll, and he's getting more and more incoherent. Uh, it's worrisome. I'm I'm thankful that he is still, uh, you know, relatively content in in his, despite the, the situation. Um, but it's 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 hard to see him you know getting worse uh, over time and uh, and of course for my mom it's also a great relief that she will get vaccinated because she's also been very afraid to uh, get out of the house and meet other people and uh, even get treatment you know she also has her medical problems and so uh, 
being being kind of everything is on hold uh, because all the all the hospitals and the doctors are uh, working full time at combating this pandemic, and so a lot of the regular medical care has been postponed, and so my mom is also uh, one of the victims of that situation. So hopefully, things will get better soon. Um, but it may get worse before it gets better. That's also true <laughs> about the weather. It's not very important, but they've just announced that next week we're going to get a lot of snow. We're, it's going to freeze over the weekend, and there may actually be ice. Now, that, of course, makes a lot of people happy because we love skating here in the Netherlands, and we haven't had any decent ice skating for years now. And so the prospect of uh, having at least a couple of days where temperatures will really dip below freezing point uh, is making a lot of people excited. Of course, I don't know what will happen. <laughs> with, can you do serious ice skating with the pandemic at the same time? Because, you know, usually a lot of people will go on the ice. But then can you keep your distance? I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, for me, it's a little bit of a, a problem that it's going to snow uh, and that's getting colder because I was planning on going out and, and film some TV episodes. And my program is uh, focusing on outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> and but I'm preparing episodes that will be aired much later, so beginning of March, and and then of course that's when springtime starts. So I can't really film outside if it's going to snow. So I, I I I'll have to figure out a creative way to still get things done because I'm I'm actually kind of on a leave right now. They're doing repeats of my of my show. Because uh, I was just having such a hard time keeping up with the deadlines. And so that I'm very relieved by that. But it still means that I, I need to make sure that I don't get in trouble later on, just in a few weeks from now. So I'd better get to work quickly. Um, speaking of which, uh, I've also uh, planned, planned ahead. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do that on a consistent basis, thinking, okay, what's next? What's the next step going to be? Um, I've mentioned here on the show and also on The Walk, which is my other podcast, in case you're new, um, that very likely my current work uh, in, in the, on national TV is going to, you know, it's going to come to an end. And they're currently thinking about other types of programs in which I still may have a role, uh, but it won't be the same type of production that I'm making right now. So, and yet the documentary making is really my, my great love right now and it's it's where I have most of my ambitions is, is getting better at this and uh, I don't think it's a secret that one of the, my goals or one of what the things that I'm striving towards it doesn't mean that it's going to happen but you always kind of need, need to put the bar high what I would love to do is to get to the level of quality uh, of Netflix and to be able to go and have a talk with streaming platforms like that and and, and show them uh, quality documentaries. And I think I think that there is a chance that that may, may work. I'm not sure, but um, it, it also requires me to already think ahead if I want to get working on these bigger productions. What does that mean for, you know, the finances? Because uh, instead of right now, I make these weekly episodes. And that, that generates a certain income for, for Tridio, which then uh, we can use to pay my rent and, and uh, pay for, for Inga's salary, etc. Um, but that is, so that, those are relatively small amounts, and it comes in during a number of weeks of the year. But in, in when, once you're going to make these bigger produ- productions, 
uh, like a, you can't make a Netflix documentary in a week, right? So that's going to require maybe months of work. It also uh, requires me to go and look for uh, more substantial financing uh, because then, of course, well, of course, we can also invest ourselves in this. But I, I always want to work from a position of also financial strength and a financial solidity. I, I, I've sworn to never uh, borrow money. I never want to go in debt because it's uh, it's not my money. It's 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 my sponsors. It's my uh, community that enables me to do this. So I have to be very responsible. But it also requires me to think even you know bigger. How can I make that happen? How can we uh, generate excitement around these new programs that I would like to make? Um, as well as as also uh, bring along the current sponsors and I spoke about the patrons earlier on, uh, there is a certain amount of, uh, a smaller amount of the community that is supporting me on, on higher tiers. And those are all kind of connected to, to the documentaries. Um, but that's not enough. I mean, I, it's, it's very important uh, to have their support. And I think it is promising but it shows because it shows that a certain number of people really would love to, love to see me do this work more. Um, but I need to grow that community to... Uh, to to provide like substantial um, what do you say create create enough of a financial base to actually step into this new into in, this new production uh, uh, endeavor um, so well anyway everything is interconnected so it means I, I got to grow the community I got to grow uh, the higher tier sponsors and and of course it most, much more important than that is I need to communicate and formulate and plan what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. So as I mentioned before, I'm going to first start with, you know, like build it up in the next quarter uh, to bring you one first documentary that is a re-edit and a, an international version based on stories that I've already told for Dutch TV. But it will be uh, like a like a, a remake, you could say, or a remaster. In, in, in many ways, um, I think these documentaries are going to be uh, like plus versions or expanded versions of what I'm able to show on TV because it's just, you know, 20 minutes um, with a bit of presentation at the beginning and at the end. So these are relatively short episodes, whereas now I've got a full canvas. I can go like regular length documentary. That is a different type of storytelling. So it also requires me to kind of re- restructure some of the stories that I tell and I want to get better at it so I'm, I'm absolutely this is also something I will talk later on in the show when I'm uh, going to review a book this is something I want to apply myself to and and educate myself uh, to learn how to get to the level that I want to reach so it's exciting it's also um, <laughs> it's not easy to manage all these different levels of um of my work life. So while I'm preparing for the future, I also have to make sure that the regular stuff that I do, like this show and uh, the, the, the YouTube channels, as well as my work here in the parish, or, well, not really in the parish, but in the, in the, for the international community during the weekends, that too is, is growing so much in terms of the impact that it has on people, the support that we get from the community that forms around those Sunday masses, that is also something that really I want to elevate and, and make better and <laughs> make sure it gets all the care that, I, that, I, that it needs. 
Um, and there is a pastoral aspect of that, of course. Also, you know, you want to be close to the community that you pray with. Um, so all that is in development. Um, and it's, it all requires uh, m- way more planning than I've ever done before in my life. And uh, working with um, a, a good, having a good grip on my, on my daily uh, calendar, uh, weekly planning, trying to balance everything. It's, it's still like sometimes I fail at this, but that's, that's part of the game. Sometimes you just have to try it out and, and, and discover, well, this is not feasible. And I still, <laughs> almost every morning, I write down in my journal, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. And uh, while I'm writing it down, I'm thinking, hmm, I'm not sure if that's feasible in those you know, six hours or so that you have freed up for, for these projects. And then at the end of the day, um, usually I've done one of the three things, one of the three priorities. So that shows me that either I'm too ambitious um, and I want to do too much, which means that I have to let go of certain ambitions because, well, a day only has 24 hours. Or maybe I'm still not efficient enough. Maybe I'm just not focusing on the right thing and I need to kind of uh, rethink the way I work, not just the amount of hours because hours is relative. Time is relative. It's much more about what do you do when you're fully focused? And uh, for me, I've, n- I've discovered that getting in the zone for me is, is, is what I always need. So it means no distractions, super focus, only try to do, like when I said I like to do editing on Monday and, th- and Tuesday, that is to completely shut out everything else. So when there is something else going on, like, uh, I don't know, emergency <laughs> of things, that I can always push it to Thursday, well, in this case, Friday. That's kind of my day where I, I try to put out the fires and uh, answer my email. And But I, I try to get as as little noise as possible in these, in these days that I want to be fully focused because I know that that's when I have maximum production and maximum quality. Um, and so doing trying to do too much on the same day, for me, is my brain cannot handle and then everything kind of dilutes and and nothing really comes out of it or only you know very half baked so uh, but I will keep you up to date if you want to know more about all these projects I encourage you to subscribe to my newsletter you can go to fatherroderick.com in the menu you will find a link to subscribe to our uh, MailChimp newsletter if you are a patron you already get the newsletter um, and I've committed myself to write a monthly one that's also new last week I wrote my first uh, newsletter. We're probably also going to put it on on the website. I forgot to do that, so that people that are not subscribing to the newsletter and are no patrons can still read um, kind of an, uh, like a monthly update on the situation. And um, and I was very I was very excited about it because for the first time, like doing a monthly newsletter uh, makes it much more worthwhile. Um, kind of really writing something and. Um, going much more in-depth than I would do in the past when a newsletter would basically be, hey, did you know that I've recorded this podcast and this podcast and check out this this YouTube video? That doesn't really add much to most of you that are already following all that. So, But but this monthly newsletter is more kind of like a sm- small magazine or a ch- like a church bulletin. Someone wrote me, it's like, this feels like it's our community church bulletin. Now, I hope it it's a little bit more interesting <laughs> than just a, a, a parish church bulletin. Because, well, anyway, 
you know, those church bulletins. Uh, it's got a lot of useful information, but it's not, it's not, it doesn't make up for riveting reading. So I'm trying to do something a little bit more, uh, I don't know, more compelling than that. But, uh, but it is definitely uh, it's something new, and I, I'm surprised to see how enthusiastic people re- uh, were about the, the first issue. So in case you have missed it, again, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter uh, over at uh, fatherroderick.com, I think. Or Tridio.com. I need to ask Inge. But I think it's on fatheroderick.com. And if not, I'll make sure that it gets there. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people. And Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. Was it last week that I was uh, mentioning that I wanted to start watching The Expanse again, which is a science fiction series that, at least here, is on Amazon Prime? The Expanse is based on the books of James Corey, I think. Um, And the funny thing about that, not not many people know that, that's actually not a real person. That is just a, I don't know, author's name. But it's not even one person. This entire series of The Expanse is written by two guys, two friends, and they've been doing this for many, many years. And you wouldn't be able to tell. They have so, uh, their style, their like chemistry, their writing chemistry, which is something that's very rare, I think, is so good that you, you wouldn't be able to tell which chapter is written by who. That's how, how close these guys are. And I'd love to learn more about their writing process because I think it's fascinating that two people can write as one. That is crazy. Um, The Expense is uh, a science fiction series that is now, I think, in its fifth season and from what I've heard, it is getting better and better. Every season tops the previous one. Uh, For for people that have already read the books, it's probably just going to be the same story, so... They will maybe not be as surprised as I am uh, discovering the storyline, but it still must be very cool to see what you visualized, to see that in in pretty high-quality production. Um, uh, So the acting is good, the sets, even though a lot of the sets are digital, but it's done in a very imperceptible way. It it, it feels very organic. There's there's not much... uh, so far that I've seen that where I'm like, hmm, that is such a CGI effect. It kind of tends to forget about how they did it. Um, and it's, it's a really good balance between, uh, well, the, the technical, mm, that's the, what you need to, to visualize that rich world and, and the story, but the special effects never get in the way of the story. That's sometimes a problem with uh, with other series. Um, well, think of Star Trek Discovery. I was very critical uh, recently about this recent season, but it is because I feel that uh, often their secondary goals, like de- delivering something that looks like a, a science fiction movie or you know a big budget, um, and also their desire to hit certain goals. In terms of, of trend, uh, you know, making sure that they they integrate the current societal and cultural trends in the story, um, that that gets in the way of of good writing. 
that is not the case with The Expanse. The, the story comes first, character development com- comes first, and all the rest is, is actually not sidelined. It is really high quality, but it never gets in the way, and that makes for a very good ro- uh, uh, watching. I've already watched the first season a couple of years ago, and I remember uh, being a bit disoriented in the, in, in the first part, in the first half of the season. Now, this may be because I watched those episodes late at night or... I don't know. Maybe there was too much time between um, the various episodes. I think they were all uh, launched at once, so you could binge watch. But maybe I just watched an episode and then took a, a week off and then another one, and I forgot what happened in the, in the previous episode. Um, I tend to have that problem, especially when I when I watch TV before I go to bed. Um, when I hop into bed right after watching a TV episode, sometimes my brain will just erase... What I what I watched and I can't really remember. Maybe it's just me getting old. But <laughs> no, actually, lots of people are probably now saying yes. It's because you're getting old. But um, but now I've been watching a couple of these episodes every evening, and I'm so into the story now. And it is a even though I've already seen this first season, if I've, I've now I feel like I'm really into the story. And it's got a good flow, and I appreciate it so much more than the first time I watched it. And um, I cannot wait to see where they bring because I already know how this first season ends, and it's getting really creepy very quickly and very like, what? What's going on? It's got a little bit of the Event Horizon thing in there. If you remember that, it's kind of a science fiction horror movie, um, which has like it gets so creepy after a while. And this first season also has that. It gets really dark, and, and you're like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Where is this story going? Um, but now I'm committed to continue to continue to watch this until I, I get up to speed with where, where the season is right now because I'm always a bit wary that if I don't catch up in, in time, um, I'll inadvertently see some spoilers. Um, and it's similar to those of you that are haven't watched... The Mandalorian yet, and you're always scared that someone will spoil the big reveals because that you know that show actually uh, has quite a few of these like moments where they overwhelm you with something that happens, so that you get excited and everything. But if you've already seen it in memes and and other people talk about it on on your Facebook feed or um, on Instagram or Twitter, then it doesn't have that same impact. You can only hear once that you know i am your father and and there's nothing that's not repeatable so if it gets spoiled you miss that experience and you don't want to that's one of the big reasons that i stopped reading spoilers uh star wars spoilers at one point um years ago when the when the prequels came out i read every single spoiler that i could find every leak i would follow but it resulted in me actually knowing in advance pretty much what to expect and sometimes even the movies being not as good as what was rumored um and with the newer sequels star wars sequels i decided to not go the spoiler route and so i i usually walked in the theater um completely blank i'd only seen you know just the trailers and and some poster art and that was it and and i still treasure the three premieres, actually more than three, because I've also seen Solo in the theaters at the red carpet premiere and and Rogue One as well in Amsterdam. And those premieres, I 
I will never forget those. That that is something that nobody can take away from me anymore. And the the impact that these premieres had on me and the excitement that I had and sometimes shared in, you know, on the spot videos where it would give my first reaction. That excitement was real and it was un un unspoiled and un unsullied you could say by by some some of the cynical negativity and kind of like people criticizing uh, stuff. Um, my overall impression was always like, wow, I'm so grateful to be here and to have had this experience. And even though afterwards I may be more critical and I, you know, may have, there are always things to criticize. Um, but it, it, it did, it had my, my more critical, um, consideration of, of Star Wars movies has never robbed me from the, the, the joy of seeing a story for the first time and being completely surprised by uh, by the events so uh, that's why i'm gonna watch the expanse and hopefully i will not be spoiled anytime soon <laughs> catholics rock it is time for a quick visit to the peculiar bunch this is the community where you can ask anything you always wanted to know about catholics but you were afraid to ask Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And while the trailer, where this jingle is running, oh, I just want to say a quick hi to everyone who's watching this live on Facebook or on YouTube. Glad to see you here. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. I realize I got to do something about this microphone uh, because I... Uh, I try to optimize my working space, so I, I I put the what is it the desk chair a little bit higher. Uh, my monitor is like on eye level, but that now has caused that this this simple table microphone that I use to record this is actually a little bit too low. Um, and I, but I still want to keep it outside of the the video frame. I need to come up with a more soft, you know, more 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 I don't know, appropriate work setting for. <laughs> for these shows um the peculiar bunch let us talk about february uh catholic february traditions there are two at the start of this uh, month that i treasure and the first one is on february the 2nd and it's called candle mass or officially nowadays it's called the presentation of the lord and uh, the second february tradition is the feast of saint blaze and that may not be universally celebrated but here in my country, it is valued a lot by Catholics because that is where you can get the blessing of the throats, which is around this time very welcome because of all the viruses that are affecting our throat and our lungs. And so uh, before the pandemic started, um, and I think we, we, we still did that in February, uh, I always administer the blessing of St. Blaise um, to anyone who is in church. And in general, people just line up. You've got like at least 100 people waiting to get that blessing of the throat. So it's, 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 it's interesting to see that even in the secularized situation, little um, sacramentals, because it's just a blessing, it's not a sacrament, but, but still these, these tr very traditional things um, remain popular. And you would think that maybe in our secularized world, people would consider that to be superstition or, you know, just old-fashioned stuff. But no, I think 
it's a sign that, that, that we always like to have these tangible uh, rituals in our lives where we can express something, in this case, uh, a prayer that, you know, we, we don't want to get sick. We, we, uh, we hope that God will protect us from um, anything that can uh, endanger our health. But let me first start with Candlemas, which is an old uh, feast. It's actually uh, one of the oldest Christian feasts uh, with, of course, Easter and, and Christmas. Uh, and it is celebrated universally in Christian churches. Um, maybe the only Christian denomination or group of denominations that does not celebrate it that much is a Protestant denomination. But this is this feast is celebrated in the ortho, in the Orthodox churches, and are of course various different groups of Orthodox churches. It's celebrated in the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, Old Catholic Church the Anglican Church, uh, maybe also in some Episcopal circles. I'm not very familiar with those groups, but uh, I know that I have some listeners from those churches, so maybe they can enlighten me. So it's it's a feast that is linked to the commemoration of something that happened 40 days after the birth of Jesus, at least according to Jewish law. There were two moments after uh, the birth of a child, uh, especially the firstborn male child. 30 days after the uh, circumcision of the child, you had to dedicate it to the Lord, I think. And then 40 days after the birth, there was this ritual of purification of the mother, which sounds troubling, like as if giving birth to a child is sinful and you need to be purified. Um, that is That is not how it was originally intended, at least as far as I've, I understand the Jewish tradition. It was a moment, the pu- purification is of course something that has to do with God renewing us, with making us whole, and maybe this was also linked, as often is the case with, with religious rituals, to like the physical aspects of, of uh, going through, giving birth to a child, uh, that kind of gets you out of whack i'm not a mom but i'm pretty sure that that is the case it is not something you just do like oh let's let's bring a baby to this world and then the next day everything is fine no it requires recovery requires um like healing and everything and so sometimes these this period would be would be marked with religious rituals not just in in christian tradition but you see that in other traditions as well um anyway so uh it was called purification, but it was actually, if you look at the form in which this was done, you would bring your firstborn child to the temple, and uh, it was a moment of thanksgiving. Hence, uh, the requirement to bring offerings, to bring uh, animals, small animals. Uh, maybe richer people could bring in you know, bigger gifts, but we know from the story of Mary and Joseph going to Jerusalem to the temple with their child, that um, they had to bring two doves with them, so two birds as an offering, which could still be, you know, it's it's not free, <laughs> and you could probably you could uh, usually buy those birds near the temple. This is one of the reasons that it was commerce around the temple. When you hear later on the story of Jesus chasing all these uh, merchants from the temple. Um, I always kind of imagined what you see in the Jesus Christ Superstar. If you've ever seen the the movie version of that uh, uh, of, of that musical, where um, 
that's filmed in the ruins, I think, of the temple. Maybe not that the exact place in Jerusalem, but kind of a similar place. And you see, like, merchants selling postcards and, like, modern-day stuff. Um, and, and so, f- for some reason, a lot of the imagery from Jesus Christ Superstar, because I watched that movie as a child, kind of became canon in my head. It's like, that's, that's the pro- that was the problem, but, of course, that was not the case. This was all had to do with, you know, selling uh, religious uh, articles and just like you see nowadays in Lourdes uh, and other places of pilgrimages where you can buy your rosaries and so it's not really bad per se it was just had probably just taken over the preoccupation of the people there it was more about making money and and commerce rather than worship and that was what Jesus the point that he wanted to make but anyway so uh, they, they would get uh, these animals, bring them to the temple. Now, of course, the temple itself was huge. Uh, we're talking about the second temple. Um, that was also destroyed at one point. Jesus uh, predicted that, that, that that would happen. Um, and so one of, the, one of the things that you see in that temple was uh, an altar where these animals would be killed. And um, sometimes they would be, well, I think they would be burned as well as, a, as an offering. So uh, the fact that you would bring these animals as an offering is, is kind of like a thank you gift. It's, <laughs> it's kind of a weird baby shower type of thing, you know. <laughs> you want to you rejoice in the birth of your child. It's a gift of God. That, that is what it expresses. It's a gift of God. So you, you bring your child to God and you present him with that gift and you say thank you. Just like you do when you get a present. Uh, you know, you open it in the presence of the people that gave you that present, and you 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 say thank you for that. I, I mean, uh, there there are some traditions, and I I try to remember what the rules were when I was young. Uh, but I know that some people actually, when they receive a gift, they don't open it. So it's it's considered to be rude to open the present right there and then because that maybe that's could be interpreted as being greedy or uh, materialistic. But I've always um, opened my presents when I got them uh, just because I want people, I want to give something back to the people that give me a gift. I want to say thank you and and also um, acknowledge their gift and the care that they put in, uh, in, in selecting one. So I think that's behind that, um, that, that, tradition of going to the temple uh, and offering your child to the Lord with with your offerings. It's also an, an expression of this child, this life that has been entrusted to us is not ours. It's not our possession. It ultimately belong, belongs to the Lord. And we'll, at one point in our lives, we'll have to give it back, which is what Mary, the Virgin Mary, experienced when her, her heart was pierced by a sword, just like it was prophesied by uh, Simeon in the temple. So they meet these two people in the temple, Simeon and uh, Anna, uh, and both are at an advanced age, and they prophesy about the future of this child. Uh, but they also warn Mary, or at least um, Simeon does, that she will, she will suffer. And I think the suffering of Mary is to have to uh, give her child back literally to God um, on the cross where uh, she loses her child and there's nothing worse in terms of suffering than than surviving your child. And that is what Mary went through. Uh, 
um, but this this willingness of letting go of your child if that is required by the Lord because it's not yours it's the child is his that is what is also expressed in this ceremony so you, you can tell and the fact that this was 40 days after Christmas still links it to to the nativity and it's the last feast liturgically that we celebrate that has this connection with Christmas so in in some countries uh, they leave uh, the, their Christmas decorations up until um, candle mass. The reason that oh, the, the other point that I wanted to make is um, you, you can see um, how important this the commemoration of this is because this is not just about the story of Jesus and and his parents. This is something that we all, I think, have to be reminded of that that our lives don't belong to us. Uh, my family is not mine. Uh, my parishioners are not mine. The community is not mine. You, you all belong to the Lord. And I'm a caregiver in a sense. And I, I, I try to give my care, my attention. Uh, I try to guide and teach. But at the same time, I'm very much just like you. I also need guidance. I, 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 I receive care from the community. So we don't belong. We don't own each other. We, we serve each other. But we also have to let go if that's what the Lord requires us. So this is, this is important to, uh, to mark that concept or <laughs> that important aspect of our life and faith with a yearly liturgical celebration. The reason that it's called Candle Mass is that um, Simeon in the temple uh, uh, exclaims that this child that he holds in his hands is going to be a light for the people of Israel, but also for everyone in the world. So it's the light of God that he carries, and, and, and Mary has brought that, that light into the world, and that light is to chase away the darkness. Um, it's not by accident that Christmas and also this feast, of course, are celebrated in the darkest months of the year. It was placed there on purpose to signify that once Christ comes in this world, the days get lighter, the sun starts shining again, there is hope, there is light. Um, and so in order to symbolize that, it was custom at a very old age, a uh, very early stage in um, uh, the Christian history, to hold candle processions. Um, they would do that in Rome. Um, and, and of course, there were in other other religions, they also had their light ceremonies. Um, but the Christians, the early Christians, uh, really wanted to express their faith in in the light that Christ is, and sometimes also in the middle of persecutions and, and difficulties um, to strengthen each other in in, uh, uh, in this faith that, that, you know, light is coming, the darkness is going to disappear, and we have to focus on the light, hence these processions, hence the name Candle Mass, is literally Mass, Candle, just like Christmas means Mass, Christ, the birth of Christ, and Mass. Uh, so that's why the spelling, by the way, is a twofold. You can uh, spell Candle Mass with one S or with two S's. Two S's, of course, makes it clear where Mass comes from. It's, it's a Mass. So celebrate Mass, and then there uh, is a candle procession. And um, later on, they added also the blessing of candles, so people can bring their candles to church. They are blessed, and then you can use them for the rest of the year. Blessing, of course, is 
it's dedicating an object to the service of God. So it's not magical. It's you know you don't uh, infuse them with some you know mysterious power, but it's a it's a dedication. It is setting something apart for liturgy for your uh, your life of faith. I think that wraps it up. That's enough information. <laughs> Saint Blaze. When you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics and candle mass. Packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? Talk a little bit more about Saint Blaze. Maybe next year when I um, when I get to do my Lego video, I wanted to do another Lego video about the you know how Saint Blaze got that reputation for being the patron saint for people that suffered from throat diseases. But I just ran out of time. <laughs> Making these Lego animations is so time consuming. Um, but uh, anyway, the, maybe next year. Uh, let's talk about books. I wanted to um, briefly talk about a book that I'm currently reading, which I've already mentioned before. It's in the same vein as um, Atomic Habits. Um, it, this book is called Miracle Morning. It's written by Hal Elrod, and it, it was a massive bestseller when it came out, and it still is very popular um, in the self-help uh, <laughs> section of the bookstore. Um, Miracle Morning <clears throat> is... Uh, um, is a proposition um, to reorganize your days in the same way as, as successful people do. And according to the writer, a lot of um, high-functioning, highly successful people um, all start their days very early. And they have certain morning rituals that you can emulate, and it will, well, it could also help you to be more productive, to be happier, to have more balance in your life. Now, this is quite a book. <laughs> it's, uh, I've not finished reading it. It's very detailed, but the main summary is actually quite simple. And that is, got to start every morning with a routine. Um, and routines are very, very important too, um, because they, they, they help you uh, integrate that in your life so that your days do not depend on just chance. You know, like I wake up and I'll just wing it. And at the end of the day, you're wondering, well, what, what actually did I get done? Uh, these, these routines, especially these morning routines, can help you be more focused and also to decide in advance where you're going to put your effort so that you don't disperse it and you don't uh, get lost in basically everything that life throws at you. Sometimes it happens and sometimes stuff happens and you have to deal with it. So that's why you need margin in your life. But oftentimes, you are the one in charge. You can decide, I, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm just not going to do. And so this, these, this morning routine for a miracle morning is uh, based on an acronym called SAVERS. And so it consists of six things you can do in the morning. The first one is when you wake up, and of course the advice is to wake up early, which I try to do. Don't, I'm not always successful. Um, but that's also because there's a ton of stuff going on in my life and I have trouble shutting that off when I go to bed. So even if I do sleep, I sometimes have just lots of dreams and I can tell that my mind is, is just trying to process everything that's going on and I'm longing for the days that my life will, will return to normality. And this is not just related to the COVID situation, actually. I'm, that's, that's the least of my worries, strangely enough. I'm 
I'm I'm pretty good at dealing with you know, just being alone and uh, not not being able to go out. I wasn't that outgoing anyway. Um, but it's more um, linked to the uncertainty of my living situation uh, and the ongoing um, uh, negotiations about that that are really, really difficult and there doesn't seem to really um, be any progress. So uh, I, I just want to know that where, I, where I'm currently living, that I can stay there. And, and if not, I'd like to know it as well. So... Uh, Anyway, I won't I won't uh, fatigue you with that. Plus, there is this um, uh, kind of the, the 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 work pressure and and how to uh, how to find that balance that I so desperately need. Um, one of the th- big decisions that I took was, of course, stepping away from the parishes, which was a big step, uh, very um, sad in a certain way, but absolutely necessary. And now that I've stepped away from the, from the parish work, I can. I can all of a sudden, it's as if I, I now realize how imbalanced my life was. It's one of the things that my, ther- my physical therapist told me. She said, your lifestyle has been out of whack for years. COVID just brought it to light. But you have to change, not just to recover from COVID, but for the benefit of every, everyone and everything in your life. So now that I've stepped away, I, I realize I, this was crazy. Uh, for years, it's been crazy. And so it was the right decision. But of course, the fallout... The, the the consequences for everything, including my current uh, living situation, um, are, have proven to be way bigger than I thought. Uh, so that that's always as I I have a hard time dealing with stuff that is unresolved. Um, I can't shut shut that down. So my brain, even regardless of what I intellectually say, uh, and and of course I could intellectually I could I could say, oh you know it's going to be all right in a few months of time everything will be clear and but if you're in the middle of that my subconscious brain still needs a lot of energy to process all that and so that is why oftentimes i i I have a hard time waking up early in the morning but i do wake up usually at seven um and then this is the routine that uh the miracle morning proposes you start with the s savers s of silence start every morning with a period of purposeful silence of at least five minutes now in my life that actually is these uh, awareness uh, exercises that uh, my physical therapist has uh, uh, recommended i do so these are these moments where you you try to focus on your breathing and so i, I leave the room i don't stay in bed, otherwise I would fall asleep again. But I go through this, and I have an app that will talk you through this, you know, five to six, seven minutes of, of relaxation and rest. And this is very different from how I would start my day. Normally, when I woke up, the first thing I did would do is grab my phone or my iPad and launch a podcast. Because a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, especially news-related podcasts, are audio versions of, of, of television programs that air in the evening on, on American television. And then they upload the audio version while I'm sleeping. And then in the morning, I would listen to the news. That's how I uh, was able to, to follow um, so much you know, the world news thanks to this, this morning routine of starting with a podcast. But this is different. What I realized is this, this noise and listening to, 
to news early in the morning, it also prohibits you from focusing on what you are going to do. It's again, it's allowing the world to to determine the start of your day. Um, and it's it's when you open yourself up to that noise, um, you close yourself for reflection and for purposeful you know decisions to live a purpose, purposeful day. So this starting with silence instead of with podcasts um, makes a big difference. And then the second uh, part of the routine is affirmations. Um, so it's to, to program yourself. That sounds a little bit like neuro-linguistic stuff. Um, to, but, but program yourself to be confident and successful in everything you do. Um, this is not the type of, you know, I stand in front of the mirror, I'm tell, telling myself how great I am. Uh, that may be beneficial, uh, but that's, for me, that wouldn't be very helpful. But for, for, for what, what helps me, uh, and that is also true for the, the next couple of steps of this morning routine, is the journaling. So uh, part of my, um, my morning routine, my journaling morning routine is answering the question of um, what is your, the affirmation that you want to give yourself? And I, I take a moment to think about that. If I were someone else, if I were my own coach, if, no, if I were coaching someone else, what would I tell that other person? So I'm trying to uh, kind of set my... I, I, I try to do to... I give myself advice that I would give to someone else, which is also something that I'm not used to doing. Um, but it, it does work, strangely enough. It helps me. And then later in the evening, I read back what I wrote in the morning... And, and oftentimes that affirmation has actually helped me and, and was able to calm me down or guide me or uh, sometimes I write down a warning, you know, today make sure you don't uh, get distracted or uh, don't, don't try to prove yourself by just working too hard. You have, <laughs> you have nothing to prove. Um, stuff like that. Um, so these affirmations, uh, especially positive affirmations, to be confident and successful, it is a way to tell yourself not to panic. Um, and uh, for, for instance, something that I keep telling myself is uh, you have your flaws, you make mistakes, you may inadvertently hurt other people or do the wrong thing, that is all, that, but that's not different from anyone else. But what's more important is you are loved. You can always try again. You can keep rolling. And you'll get over any obstacle in your life. Provided that you always remind yourself that despite your flaws and everything you may do wrong today, the good always outweighs the bad. And even if other people don't validate that and don't see that and don't uh, affirm that, and that makes you sometimes anxious, um, God looks at you that way. For God, no one is ever lost. There's no sin that can't be forgiven. There is, there is no problem that can't be solved. So look at yourself with God's eyes. He... If he would talk to you today, 
He would affirm you. He would encourage you. So that's what I try to do to myself. Encourage myself. Um, not out of uh, self-indulgence or uh, because I, I kind of step over my flaws, but it is, it's the truth. We are loved. We are extremely valuable in God's eyes. And so sometimes we just need to remind ourselves of that because other people won't always do that. The third thing you do in that morning routine, visualization. Imagine what you want to achieve and mentally rehearse what you'll need to do to achieve it. This is very, the, the visualization is very helpful. So I try to, at the start of the day, literally visualize myself sitting in my chair, reading a book, having accomplished the, my priorities. I try, to, I try to feel already in advance how I will feel if I get that done. Um, and then I, I, I go through, you know, what, what, so what should I do? This, this all has to do with um, being realistic about what, what I can do. And also, if I write down my priorities, which is also part of my journaling, the next step is I take these priorities and I put them literally on the calendar. And I've got three blocks where, during which I work every day. And I assign one of those blocks to one of those priorities, or sometimes two, if it's more work. But um, it's only an idea. It's only a thought. It's only an intention, unless I put it on my calendar. The, th the fourth thing you do is exercise. This is the thing that I always skip when I'm tired. But it's, it's running. It's, um, I'm trying to uh, uh, work also... Uh, again on more on strength training which is something that i've done years ago and i completely gave up on that so my arms are like super like thin and there's i don't have much uh strength in in my arms and my legs uh but uh, but it's 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 important for um an overall balance to to, to not forget strength training but it's also running um, and I reserve an hour for that. So that's part of my morning routine. And I do it in the morning because if I, if I don't do it in the morning, it will just not get done because at the end of the day, I don't have much willpower left. Uh, five, reading. Now, this is interesting. They recommend, this book recommends reading in the morning when it's still quiet. I tend to read at the end of the day when I'm done working. Uh, but it oftentimes gets gobbled up by you know just little things loose ends that i need to wrap up and it always takes more time than i program for it but um, but the, the, this is not just reading for leisure but this is learning from experts and model successful people who have already achieved what you want so this would be the category of reading books like uh like this book miracle morning or tony robbins or whatever floats your boat in a certain way what helps you to get into a mindset that will motivate you to be successful and when i said earlier on that i wanted to um, hone my craft in in making documentaries this would be a learning time this for instance while i'm exercising while i'm walking or running i can listen to an audiobook of, for instance, um, written by a director or a filmmaker and, and just learn by, by modeling the things that I'm going to do on, on, on what other people have already, already learned. So you learn from their experiences. Very powerful. And then six, writing, scribing. 
writing enables you to document your insights as well as any areas of, of opportunity. So this writing is the journaling. And it's hard to... I When I started journaling at the beginning of this year, I, I thought maybe this will go like all my previous attempts. I will do this for two weeks and then I'll, I'll give up. And I don't. Actually, I'm hooked on, on this journaling. There's rarely a day that I don't journal. And uh, the journaling itself is... Uh, I think that the secret for me is I keep it short. I don't try to write a, like a novel or something like that. It's just five, six minutes, write down your thoughts. And most of the time that I'm journaling, I'm actually thinking. I'm not even writing things down. But I have to ask myself, okay, so what are, are my priorities today? What am I going to do? And then that really, maybe it's also because I'm tired in the morning. I, my brain needs time to shine the spotlight on the priorities and then translate that into a planning for the rest of the day. But if I wouldn't do that journaling, I think my, I wouldn't be as effective as I, I currently feel that I am. So anyway, that was a long summary, actually, of the Miracle Morning, but I just wanted to share that with you. Hope you appreciated it. Out of the scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. We're going to talk about golf balls on the moon. <laughs> I totally forgot about this. I, when I was a kid, I loved reading up on uh, uh, astronomy and, and, and uh, space travel. Uh, and, and so I read this article today about uh, a, a, actually an image expert who has gone back to all the footage that was filmed on the moon during all these uh, Apollo sessions and has been applying his knowledge of image enhancement on these old images. Now, actually, the quality, we, when we think of moon landings, we immediately associate that with the very grainy uh, uh, images that were sent to Earth live. But what we often forget is that these astronauts also took film cameras with them, 16-millimeter film cameras. And, of course, the resolution of film is thousands of times higher than whatever we saw in these grainy live video feeds. And so these film, uh, but it's still 16 millimeters, uh, it's filmed with the back then the technology of the time. Uh, so there's still a lot of grain and the resolution is not optimal. Uh, maybe the lenses weren't, I don't know. But apparently these, the oldest film footage has been scanned at a very high resolution. And now with our modern day, machine learning and uh, combining images, you can get rid of a lot of the grain and a lot of the image problems by, by combining data from all these different images. This is what this guy has done uh, on a, to, to determine something that was done on the moon. And I had no, well, I vaguely remember reading about this. That was uh, one of the uh, astronauts of the Apollo 14 mission actually golfed on the moon he created a golf cub from an existing uh rod that they were using also to um i think to gather materials or something like that uh, and, and but then and they took like the head of a golf cub with them they screwed it on and then they had to a couple of golf balls i'm not sure how many um, and he took a swing. The, the rationale, this was Alan Shepard, who was always kind of a bit of a, uh, a loose cannon in a certain way. So he did, he, he did stunts before. Um, but he, he was adamant at, at doing 
you know, some golfing on the moon. And his reasoning was that it would be a practical uh, demonstration of the how, how much of a change uh, the lack of gravity on the moon or the lower gravity can have on, you know, these physical things that we do. And so his plan was to, uh, to demonstrate that the ball would travel for miles and miles and miles. And I think in his, his verbal version, that's actually what he, what he said later on in interviews. Like, ah, oh, that ball just went in the air forever. <laughs> well, not so much. Uh, we know where the first ball landed. Uh, but what we didn't know was he, he swung another time and that second ball actually went out of sight or they couldn't really see where it landed. And so it was very hard to estimate uh, how far it got. And so in his statements, he could just exaggerate that. And it's like, oh, I, you know, <laughs> I would outclass any golfer on the moon. And this, uh, this person who did the, the image enhancement uh, was able to to use a technique called um, uh, what is it image stockpiling um, what's the technical term of that yeah image stacking so you use multiple images and every image will have a lot of grain but there are also if you superimpose them digitally you can get rid of everything that changes per frame and what remains of course is what what is truly there uh, so the grain gets eliminated this this is how uh, on on Blu-rays, they do uh, grain. Um, what is it? Uh, grain reduction. Um, so they compare the frames one after another, and so the, the computer knows. Well, this is probably grain. This is not image detail. And so anyway, this guy was able to actually see where the second ball went, and was able to measure based on all the other data that we have how far that ball went. And, well, it wasn't miles and miles and miles, but it was still pretty impressive. Um, considering that because of the bulky spacesuit, he could, the astronaut could only use one arm to swing. <laughs> so um, it is about... Um, the first ball went for, I think, 24 yards. I don't know how much that is in, uh, in meters or centimeters. And the, th the second one uh, is estimated to go have gone as far as 40 yards. Now, uh, a professional golfer could probably go as far as three and a half miles on the moon, which would mean that the ball would be in the air for one minute and 22 seconds. That is insane. <laughs> so now with all the commercial space flight, uh, literally uh, taking flight, and uh, maybe we'll, we'll see some golf tournaments on the moon. How, how much fun would that be? And what a total waste of energy and knowledge. But anyway, one can dream, right? <laughs> we are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Deep learning or machine learning is something you may have heard of. And it is a very impressive uh, computing... <laughs> uh, well, yeah, computing, it's a verb, right? Um, based on, you know, computers being able to store heaps of data 
and then compare that and extrapolate knowledge from that. Um, the artificial intelligence surge that we've seen in recent years um, has been very much relying on deep learning. If you see these deep fakes on the internet where uh, and you can even do that with regular apps where you can superimpose a photo of yourself on, onto uh, faces uh, of, of movies or something like that. That is all based on deep learning. The machines, applications have been able to learn from looking at maybe tens of thousands of images to be able to predict what your face on this actor should look like. Um, I, saw, I'm f- I follow a very interesting channel um, that analyzes visual effects in movies. And I think it's called the VFX crew. And they recently posted a video where they showed that deep learning and machine learning was now already available to just regular, well, you know, even amateur uh, filmmakers where uh, you could um, isolate an object or a, a person from the background, which normally, for instance, in Star Wars, that is done with rotoscoping. That means manually frame by frame, so that means 25 times per second, there is someone who has traced the outline of, for instance, the model of an X-Wing fighter to be able to then replace the background that you you know that was there, for instance, the blue screen or whatever, to replace that with images of a model of the Death Star. That was done all by hand, and that is still done by hand in many cases. Um, but now with machine learning... For the first time ever, computers are able to take over. And because they have so much knowledge of how a person moves and what belongs to that person, what belongs to the background, that they were able to isolate a person that was filmed outside without blue screen, without green screen or anything. And the computer did a pretty good job completely erasing the background, which, of course, would speed up special effects production tremendously you don't have to go frame by frame anymore. Maybe a little bit of correction here and there, but the computer can take care of most of it. Now, this this goes so far, and this has such a massive impact on anything that's digitally related. This can also have a tremendous impact on facial recognition, on, well, it, it's not just visual. It can also be audio. And a very scary but also extremely exciting um, Uh, example of this is how on South Korean television they had a massive hit among viewers with a show during which a pop singer that died at a very young age about a decade ago was revived with artificial intelligence with new with uh, machine learning a full animation of the guy very hard to distinguish from a real, you know, a, a real person sitting there. But what is even more scary, or scary and more impressive, is that they were able to completely emulate his voice, his singing voice. So he sings the cover of a song that was created years after he died by another artist, and they've been able to have to create a performance with this artificially recreated South Korean singer that if you see it, you just look this up on YouTube, is uncanny. Actually, we use uncanny to say, well, we could perceive that it is uh, CGI uh, and that it's artificial, but in this case, I say it's uncanny because I'm like, 
this is almost indistinguishable from a real person. And we're only at the beginning of this of this technology. This is only a few years old. So what we see in movies like Star Wars, what we may actually also see later on in movies like, uh, for instance, Black Panther, you know, where uh, the main actor has died. Uh, in the future, you could probably revive any actor, not just the image and then hire someone who can imitate the voice, but you could, you could like Darth Vader, <laughs> at one point... Who is going to do the voice of... Now they use voice actors, but I think in the future you could probably just have a computer do a perfect imitation of Darth Vader based on machine learning. That's crazy. That is absolutely... And of course, this has also moral ramifications. Uh, this could have political ramifications. What if this is used by people who want to make you believe that someone did or said something? We've seen in recent times how volatile our political and also sometimes religious climate is and how, how gullible people are to believe fake news, misinformation, and how powerful this misinformation can be and how it can completely derail uh, a society. Look at what's happening in Myanmar with the coup by the military that is actually based on misinformation, on, on uh, 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 like a, 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 a lots of... of uh, news that that said that the elections had been rigged and and falsified, and so the military uh, have taken that as an excuse. I don't know if they believe that fake news, but they have taken it as an excuse to take over the power and kill the democratic process there. Um, yeah, this is this is worrisome. It's it's exciting, but it's also very worrisome. Um, and maybe maybe this is something where, as a church, we should also think about the implications of this. Moral theologians, moral philosophers should absolutely start talking about the implications of this. And as a society, th we cannot turn back the clock. We cannot, you know, stop this technology uh, because it also has a lot of useful um, applications. But we, we need, as a society, to think about this and to communicate with one another, uh, about, you know, how... How do we want this technology to impact our lives? And how can we educate people so that they don't... Um, that this cannot be used for manipulation? With all technology, and the technology itself is neutral, but it's how we use it that is moral. And so that's also where we need to have a conversation and a dialogue with each other. And maybe also make sure that we put protection in place so that bad people cannot misuse it. That wraps it up for this episode of my weekly show. Thank you so much. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Let me know in the comments or post them on Discord if you're part of the Patreon community. Again, patreon.com slash fatheroderick for more information. Take a look at my uh, YouTube channel, Father Roderick, and also at my Lego YouTube channel if you want to see me live from time to time building Lego. Just look, uh, look for Father Roderick Builds sure you will be able to find that channel. Thanks, have a wonderful week, and I'll talk to you soon.